Hello and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is leading a movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Inika, and at this week's Roundtable, Kanisha, Madeline, and I spoke with the energizing Ava Mateo, Executive Director of 18 by Vote. Ava believes deeply in the power of youth and works to spread opportunity for meaningful engagement among teens and young adults. In addition to her work leading 18 by Vote, Ava recently completed a sociology and education master's degree at Columbia University Teachers College, where her research focused on the influence of youth-led organizations and youth-led educational programs on young people's socio-political identity development. Needless to say, we were thrilled to speak with her and to learn more about what she's done and what she's cooking up with 18 by Vote. We talked extensively about what it takes to get young people ready, excited, and prepared to vote, especially those who haven't historically been politically engaged. We explored what Ava thinks are the most impactful things young people can do beyond voting, the power of nonpartisan approaches, how to channel disagreement into productive discourse, and the core values that draw us to and ground us in this work. We also talked about where work like this should be rooted. Ava shared her belief that public schools should be stimulants for democracy, providing access and education to create informed, engaged citizens, but schools have instead strayed to be focused on workforce development. She encouraged us, as young people, to advocate for more civics in and out of the classroom, to be active participants in democracy. We will, Ava, we will, and we hope you will too. Thank you for listening. My name is Inika Kodestane, and I'm a high school senior from New Jersey, and I'm actually attending Barnard College in the fall, so I might see you on Columbia. And I'm super passionate, as all of us, about like youth participation in politics, and I know with the midterms coming up, a lot of us are thinking about what, what that means for the futures of our states, and for me specifically, um, that's my first time voting, so I'm excited for that. And yeah, just eager to hear your thoughts about youth in politics, and looking forward to today's conversation. Hi, everyone. My name is Jack Flanagan. I'm a junior going to high school in Manhattan. Um, I've been with the podcast for about a year now, and today I'm really excited to learn about sort of different ways of empowering youth. I know that I just had my 18th birthday a couple days ago, so this is like a very relevant episode for me. Um, And so I'm interested to hear sort of about what my demographic looks like in terms of political involvement, because I think I tend to involve myself in more active social sphere, you know, more politically active social spheres. Um, But I'd be interested to get sort of a broad survey of what it looks like for most kids and also just what what our power is, right? Like I have this thing, I get to go into the ballot and, you know, check the box now. What does that really do? What does that mean on a large scale? So, uh, hi, my name is Kanisha and I'm a high school junior from Queens, New York. And in addition to being on the podcast, I'm also a facilitator at YVOTE. And today I'm really excited to talk about what we as young people can do to get our own peers to vote and be more civically engaged. Because I think that uh, we're all here a group of like pretty active young people. But I think one of the toughest things is actually not getting across to, um, I, I think sometimes the toughest thing can be getting across to people you know, not even organizing on larger scales. Because I think especially like when it comes to encouraging your peers to vote and trying to get that message out there, it can feel very repetitive and preachy a lot of times. Um, so today I'm just like excited to discuss what we can do as individuals to ed- further educate our peers and what that also looks like on the macro scale, um, you know, through your work at 18 by Vote. 
Hi, my name is Madeline, and I'm a high school junior from Brooklyn, New York. Um, and in addition to being a podcaster, I'm also a lead civic fellow at NGP. And much like my other podcasters, I'm obviously very much interested in uh, youth-led organizations such as NGP. And so I'm really interested in tonight's conversation. So great to meet you all. My name is Ava Mateo. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, and I'm the executive director of 18 by Boat. We are an entirely youth-led organization that is really focused on getting young people, particularly ages 16, 17, and 18, ready, excited, and prepared to vote. Super excited to discuss that more, <laughs> a little bit more about me personally. Um, I actually just recently graduated from Columbia University Teachers College with a master's uh, degree in sociology and education and with a concentration in education policy. That degree has really informed my work with 18 by Vote and also has really opened my eyes up to new ways of engagement and also just the power of youth-led organizations. So excited to talk about that as well. So I think one thing that I'm really interested to hear, as you mentioned, sort of concentrating in education policy when you studied at Columbia, and I'd be really interested to hear sort of what do you think the interplay is? I know that looking to tie back to some of our previous episodes, we've talked about how civics education in this country is really lacking, and we really sort of fail our young people. And so I can understand why that would be the, why you would have a need for an organization like 18 by Vote um, to come in and, and try and, and bolster that, that we don't have already. So could you just tell us a little bit about what that program looks like? You know, you say we want to get 16, 17 and 18 year olds excited about voting. How do you do that? Absolutely. Um, yes, I realized I didn't explain that. <laughs> um, so at 18 by Vote, we kind of have a two-part strategy. And one part of that strategy is a really big focus on civic leadership and youth development. And then the other part of it is really about getting out the vote and really helping young people activate their peers in regards to elections and uh, voting related activities. So that's kind of our, our two part strategy, um, the, but we really activate both of those things um, duly. So basically, for example, in 2022, we're working in six different states and these states uh, we've identified through data from the Circle Center at Tufts, which identifies basically states where young people can have the most impact on elections. So if young people in these states are engaged, they have a possibility to make their voice heard in a really meaningful way. And of course, young people across the country, if they're engaged, if they make their voices heard, there is a total big, enormous possibility for impact. Um, but basically the data at Circle has identified that these six states in particular, um, young people could have enormous impact on the Senate races and the governor races. Um, and so those six states are Arizona, Nevada, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Florida. And so in those states this year, we're going to be running programming uh, where we provide resources, provide leadership training, um, and really just help facilitate uh, young people in, in being catalysts for civic action in their communities ahead of the midterms. Um, and so that program basically starts with a four-week leadership training where we work with 18 young people um, from across all those states. Um, and then after the leadership program, the, uh, the, the new civic leaders uh, will go on and um, basically activate all of their peers and really kind of think of creative ways of reaching young people who aren't traditionally reached by voter outreach or by politicians or by by their schools as well. And I definitely can elaborate more, <laughs> but I want to give you the opportunity to, to definitely uh, uncover exactly what um, what might be interesting to you all. So I guess in terms of like the impact that young people can have, um, 
do you like obviously I, I don't think and I don't think that you think it's limited to just voting but like when you say that there are like these states young people can have like an impact you mean voting specifically correct correct so specifically these six states in the midterm elections if young people turn out to vote um, they have an enormous possibility to actually determine election outcomes. Okay. Um, so actually to decide who gets elected. <laughs> and that could go either, that could, that it's not a partisan um, decision. It's just that they, their voices have power, like enormous power in a way that um, a, as a specific population, if that makes sense. So like beyond voting, like what do you think are the other like biggest things that kids can do? Because I know that like, 18, like now I can vote, but not everyone here is 18. And so um, even before, like um, we wanted to get politically involved and then you just, you know, you couldn't because people told you you had to wait till you could vote. So like, what do you think is the second most or like the other most impact, impactful way that like teenagers can get involved in politics? Yeah, um, I think that there's, a, I mean, there's, definitely numerous ways that you can get involved. A big way is by getting involved with an organization that is doing um, youth programming. So you get to work with other young people who care about politics and um, and really kind of have the opportunity to form opinions about things and uh, just really explore what the political world is um, and also learn different ways of, of doing advocacy. And so that's the other piece that I think is really that should is accessible to people of all ages is contacting your representatives, um, making your voice heard. And uh, that's that's an enormous way that you can really make your um, get active. Um, Another way is by convincing other people to vote. <laughs> tons and tons of people, particularly 18, 19, 20 year olds do not vote. And so if we, I think that um, the way that 18 by vote works is all peer to peer outreach. And so as a young person, if you really are asking a person who is just a little bit older than you and they have that ability to vote and they're not using it, you I think have enormous power in, in helping them um, make that decision to get to the polls. Sorry, that actually brings up a really good question that I had earlier that is actually, you know, encouraging your peers, your friends, and those older than you to vote. So um, I just wondered if you could speak a little bit from your experience, right? Like what works when trying to encourage people, especially young people, to vote? And what have you found are the best ways to get through to someone that maybe, you know, doesn't have like access to a lot of civic education or was raised in an environment where maybe their parents and their family members and peers didn't vote? So just say, yeah, what's the best like, course of action? Yeah, um, I always say that the best place to start is voter registration. Um, once you are registered to vote, the, the power of your vote is actually in your hands. Before you go through that process, it's in someone else's, <laughs> you know? So if you have access to voter registration, then it is in incredibly important, even if you're not planning on voting to be registered because it really allows you, say you change your mind, um, <laughs> or say that something inspires you to vote, then you are you immediately have that power in your hands. That's a conversation that I've had a lot during voter registration and education drives is young people will come up to me and they'll be like, oh, well, I'm not interested in politics. Like I really don't want to be involved. And so what I really think is the first step is, is just getting that voter registration and making sure that you have the power in your hands and taking that control in a way that has been kept from um, young people in many ways because of how difficult it can be to register to vote. 
I think that everything that you're saying is really interesting and it reminds me a lot of my previous experience with uh, one of the NGP programs, YVOTE, uh, which is how I initially started to uh, be interested in um, just civic dialogue. And it makes me wonder about something that I thought of before but haven't really explored lately, um, which is the question as to how much should schools be blamed for the lack of voter registration, the lack of youth turnout, et cetera. And is it is it up to organizations such as yours and up to YVOTE to inspire youth outside of school to go out and do these things or should it come from schools? So I would say ideally <laughs> public schools should be stimulants for democracy. That in my opinion, that is a dream public school system is where schools are providing the right education, the right um, access to in create informed active citizens. That should be, that's how our actually, that's how our education system was actually founded. <laughs> um, and it really has since strayed to be preparation for the workforce. And so I really think that we need to bring in more um, aspects of civic um, engagement and just active citizenship into, into public schools. And that absolutely needs to be a priority. I think right now there is not the funding for it. There is not the, there is some advocacy for it, um, but I don't know, I'm, I, don't generally hear of it coming so much from young people. And it's oftentimes coming from teachers. And so I actually would say that I think as young people, we need to advocate for more civics in our schools, more um, out of classroom civics in our schools, as well as in classroom civics. Um, and just really thinking about like, how can our, our schools really give us what we, what we need to be active participants in democracy? I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, I thought that that was really informative. Um, one question I have is, so I think that, I think I think there are a couple interesting things to, to make observations. First is that in America, we, we're very divided, but we can agree on basically like two things, three things. Dis civic discourse is broken, the government is broken, and like China bad. Um, all three of those are obviously like really complex. Um, at, you know, I guess maybe, maybe four, like Russia bad too. Russia especially bad. <laughs> um, I think that... A question I have, though, is sort of a, a knee-jerk reaction I had, and I actually assumed that you were sort of a more left-leaning organization until I read that you were nonpartisan, is that I think registering young people to vote, right, that I think that carries with it a pretty significant political undertone of young people overwhelmingly tend to be more liberal. Now, maybe maybe that's wrong, and this is me growing up in an echo chamber of New York City, which I'm, I could be. Um, but I think that even as I've traveled throughout the country, I've noticed that younger people tend to be more liberal. And so I think that Part of me wonders if you run into sort of that reaction of, oh, you say you're nonpartisan, but really, like, are you acting, you know, trying to trying to sneak under? So I'm interested to hear if you've had experience with people who think that or what you would say. Yes, um, we are actually as like as far as we know, um, we're one of the only youth led nonpartisan voter registration and outreach organizations that is entirely youth led. Our staff is all 24 and under. Um, and uh, so it is, it is a unique approach that we are taking. What we've actually found is young people like nonpartisan outreach. I think young people are disenchanted with political parties in general. <laughs> and I think that because of that, because we're really not a lot, like we're not aligning as a political party, we're really aligning as we're 
advocating for youth voices and for what young people want in policies and in practices. And, and because of that, we've had a really positive response from our um, participants. They do tend to lean progressive, um, but we have had young people from across the political range participate in our programs. Um, and that actually, that diversity has been incredibly valuable to the discussions that we have to the um, to the, I think what we kind of think about when we're uh, designing programming and it really has been a very valuable part of our work. But I will say that young people, there is absolutely that, that kind of thought that young people are tend to be lean democratic or lean to the left. Um, and so we do, we are constantly being conscious of that and also trying to find ways to have civil discourse that isn't about partisan politics. So um, just building on the whole idea of partisanship that like throughout, you know, the times that a lot of us young people have been building our civic identities, we've been living in like a very fractured, very polarized world. So uh, I just want to ask a bit about how you actually go about fostering political, you know, productive discourse, especially when, especially now it feels like a lot of times people's identities and people's moralities are almost like inextricably linked with their political alignment. So, um, and there's just this like spirit of animosity that I think that ends up arising from those discussions a lot of times. So what are like, you know, things that you do in the program that help prevent that and actually channel this, this disagreement into productive discourse? That is a fantastic question. Um, so uh, the, the first thing, um, I just had something that I was going to say to something you said earlier, and then my mind jumped. Um, so what we do a lot of is we actually focus on reimagining. So rather than focusing on the world that we, oh, hold on, taking it back. I remember what I was going to say. <laughs> um, we stand for human rights, and we do not believe that human rights are partisan, and we do not believe that they can be partisan. And that is what we think as an organization. There are like human rights that have been decided at the, at the international level that we do not feel can be addressed in a partisan way. We understand that they are being addressed in a partisan way in American politics, and that is not acceptable. <laughs> um, but as an organization, we have kind of clear values that we are like people identities deserve to be respected and it is not you cannot politicize someone's right and human someone's human rights and that's just not not okay um and so that's kind of how we navigate that um and it's been very challenging uh, to deal with over the past year because so many human rights are being challenged and are being violated and and it's it it's something that we're constantly grappling. <laughs> but what I will say in our programs is what we really focus on, focus on is reimagining. So rather than focusing on the way that our world is right now, we focus on how we want it to be. And so we say, uh, we do a lot of, I, I always pose the question kind of what are three values that you um, want in a society? Say you're creating a society from scratch. What are those three values? What are three policies that would be most important to you? And across the political spectrum, young people tend to align. <laughs> and it's uh, it's actually what is different with young people and, and politics is more how it's uh, how it's going to be, how those things are going to be done rather than um, rather than kind of the question of, of human rights. We don't often have conversations that even go close to the questioning of, of someone's rights. <laughs> so that's what. I would say. I think that it's a pretty 
when you said most people will, will, will distill down to three rights and it's pretty, you know, or to three ideas and three concepts, three values. I was pretty shocked by that because in my experience, that hasn't been the case. I'd be interested, could you tell us what are those three rights? And then I'd also be interested to hear if you personally could create a society where you had three values or three rights or three policies, what would that be for like, you know, in your experience, what's like the general team and then what's yours? So I wouldn't say that necessarily everyone agrees. I'll start with that. <laughs> but it's more just that like all the young people that have participated in our programming have completely aligned in terms of making sure that people have food, housing, basic necessities to like exist. That is something that has been across the board. Young people in our programming have agreed upon. Transportation is another one, for example. Education, access to education is a big one. Thinking about other ones, um, I think definitely conversations about, about um, the freedom to exist in, in how you want to be and how you want to present yourself has been a common one. <laughs> and who you are, present yourself as who you are, that has also been a common one. But it, even though I say, what are three, we don't narrow it down to three. It's just kind of thinking like rather, because obviously if you create a society, there's a million things that you want to, to think about and you can't necessarily come up with, it's hard to really articulate those things in a five minute conversation or a 20 minute conversation. And so really thinking through, it's not exclusive, but more just kind of really identifying three things that matter a lot. Um, in terms of myself, um, I definitely, I. Uh, think that I, I tend to agree with the young people that I work with. I absolutely believe that, that people should have housing, schooling, like uh, access to K through um, 20 education. Is that what it is? <laughs> um, and uh, food is an enormous one. Really just that I believe that uh, we should provide basic the basic necessities that a, a person needs to exist as, as a citizen of our country. Um, and I think that that should be a right of all citizens. Um, and then I think that that also includes mental health. That's another one that I'll say, but there's so many more obviously. And if I had more time, I would elaborate. <laughs> I'm curious what you all think as well. Oh yeah, I could kind of here and say that I thought what you were saying earlier about like uh, kind of having ground rules for conducting a conversation was like really something I also seek to implement when I'm having difficult conversations. I think like, I think what's really important is especially for a person who is maybe not really experienced with political debate or political discourse is knowing where to draw their own line and where their, where their personal boundary is. Uh, because I think, the like uh, the hardest thing to avoid with having conversations like that is a point where it starts to feel uncomfortable it feels like if you're you know not respecting one another's views or it feels like the kind of you know odd hominem like attacking a person and not their ideas um and that's like very hard you know to separate I think, yeah, it's very hard to kind of like separate the ideology or like the values that a person holds when it comes to politics with who they are sometimes when you're having those conversations. So I think what you were saying about like agreeing upon a few things before you actually start a conversation like this and also knowing when to end the conversation and knowing that if you get uncomfortable in a conversation, it's okay to say, I think we need to take a step back or reevaluate this um, 
I thought that was just really important because I think like a lot of people are, and like even myself included, I have to say a long time ago, it's like we, we've grown up in a world that's really fostered a kind of like close, close-mindedness and this almost like tribal association within political parties that I think is really tough for us to overcome, especially just because of how like geographically stratified these ideologies can be. So I just like thought what you were saying was really important. And I think, you know, anyone going about these discussions should definitely try to keep that in mind what they are. Absolutely. I completely agree. I think setting ground rules is the most important part of, of starting a what could a, a debate or a conversation with someone who may think differently than you. And also just remembering to kind of like, unless someone is invalidating an identity or being aggressive, that just kind of taking a step back and trying to find commonalities can oftentimes be a great way to start. <laughs> Doesn't need to be the whole conversation, but finding like a place to start um, so that you don't kind of immediately butt heads. <laughs> I think something else that many people forgot is just respect. Um, I think in like politics, like whenever you watch it nowadays, like politicians do not seem particularly respectful of each other. And there's like a lot of name calling, wonder who started that. But I think that it's really important to like bring that back. Like in my AP Gov class, we just had a conversation on gun control, which is a very hot topic issue. But um, we have like a, 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 it's very obvious that we have a range of political opinions in our class itself. And, you know, it was, it was not, it's never going to be an easy conversation to have, especially with it hitting like so close, but it was a respectful conversation. Like we're going to disagree, which is inevitable. And you're going to have times where like things get charged and there's, it's tense, but it was overall respectful. And I think that was something that I hadn't seen in like political debate in a really long time. And it was sort of sad to think about that. Like suddenly teenagers are like the only people that can really be respectful of other people's political opinions. And then when you turn on the TV, that's like the, the that's like what you're not supposed to do. So, but I think, I think like our generation has like a good head on its shoulders and like, we are aware that there is, some respect that just needs to be there when you're having certain kinds of conversations. So I think that's also big. Like it's sad that we kind of need to remind ourselves, but as long as we're bringing that kind of energy into the conversation, I think it can only go up from there. I completely agree. I would also say that we can set the example <laughs> because clearly it needs to be set. <laughs> and I, I did my thesis on youth-led organizations and their educational programming and the way that they, all of the organizations that I focused on were actually like address political issues or address policy. And all of them, rather than focusing on political ideology, focused on values and focused on skills and focused on really like you can't separate political education from issue-based education, but really kind of thinking about it beyond partisan politics. Like we are have been raised to think about things a very linear way where there's, why do we need to like fit our thoughts into what has already been created for us? Like we can change it. <laughs> That's the power of ranked choice voting, which brings more diverse ideas into voting systems, which we just saw in New York City.
That's all for today with Next Generation Politics. I'm editor Vanessa Chen signing off. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org podcast for links related to what we've discussed and to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic-minded friends or to your friends you'd like to become more civic-minded.